Hi, I'm Tanya, founder and president of LV, and this is Skin Like a Rhino. Skin Like a Rhino is not like any other Girls Boss podcast. We will be talking to ambitious women about the thrills, the realities and the highs and the lows of what it's really like, what it really takes to make a difference in women's lives. LV is all about radical female-first technology. We design products that solve real problems for women. We take neglected issues such as breastfeeding or pelvic floor health and we turn them on our head, not just through creating great tech products that make a difference, by launching also really provocative brands, by changing the conversation. So when we started designing this podcast, we thought to ourselves, you know, which inspirational women should go on the first episode? And we realised there's nowhere better than looking close to home. I'm so delighted to have Sarah Liddell, our new Chief Product Officer here at LV, join us for the first episode of Skin Like a Rhino. Sarah has challenged the status quo, uh, channeled her frustrations with existing products for women. Straight at university, she created a new design pushchair, which was better designed around women's needs. She was the fourth female engineer out of 240 male engineers at Dyson. She continues to confound the odds. She continues to break stereotypes in her quest to design better and more iconic products for women. I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Liddell. Hi, Tanya. It's a pleasure to be here. I know you have faced a lot of personal and career challenges along the way. Now, at Skin Like a Rhino, we don't want to just dwell on some of those, but I do think that they are important to understand how did you overcome them and become that stronger, more resilient person than you are today. And I, from what I understand, I think you wanted to be an engineer even at school. Is that right? Well, yeah. Um, when I was a child, I used to um, constantly be sort of inventing things, uh, overcoming little problems uh, that I faced as a child. But I didn't know that you could actually have a career doing that. So um, I think one of the issues was at school, it just wasn't an option for me. And then uh, at school also, I was sort of channeled down uh, the more typical female route. So when I wanted to join the motor mechanics club at school, I was told I wasn't able to. It wasn't for girls. Wait, wait. So there was a motor mechanics club, which is quite cool, but yeah, what, for yeah. boys only? Yeah, it was after school club. Uh, I wanted to join, but wasn't allowed. But uh, luckily I had a boyfriend at the time who was quite a good mechanic. So he taught me what I needed to know about uh, fixed my own cars. So, Yeah. I mean, that is outrageous. I, I mean, I don't know to what extent it still happens now. Um, is that, I mean, did they literally tell you it was because you were a girl that you couldn't join that club? Yes. Was there any rationale behind that or just no, gender? No, just gender. And how did you, I mean, obviously you weren't defeated, right? They didn't stop you from wanting to do it. Like, but how did that make you feel? Um, well, I think it's it, it kind of spurred something on that's been the theme right through my life. So, um sort of being a bit of a rebel, when anyone tries to hold me back, it makes me want to do it even more. And I think that's the theme that has then taken me through my career and, and even the very beginning of my career and how I got into product design and engineering. Actually, that's something I can relate to because even with LV Trainer, there's sometimes there's a sense of anger, right, that, that propels you forward, like anger that people are telling you no. Is that, is that sort of what you mean by the rebel? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, getting the fire in your belly, when you see something that feels like an injustice and overcome it, 
you know, know that you're worth fighting for and that other people are also worth fighting for, overcome it and use that that kind of negative energy to spur you forward into that positive mindset, believe in yourself and get it done. But you knew what you wanted to do. You had a passion. Uh, was that then straightforward? Were you able to then continue from, because I'm assuming obviously engineering at that time was, was open for women too. Um, I mean, at school, the career advice I had was uh, if I wanted to, I mean, I always knew I was practical and I liked solving problems and I liked fixing things, but it was, you could either go down the sort of maths and science route, but I was also creative. I was a creative problem solver. So to uh, take myself down that route would only be uh, printing, graphic design, etc. There didn't seem to be any options that really meshed the two things. And that's what design engineering is about, is creative problem solving so it's taking your creative side and the engineering side and putting them together so it, it wasn't until um so I originally went and did fine art for my first degree but it wasn't until I um had my children and I was quite a young mum and I was then using products for the first time and just really frustrated with the way that the products worked they just did not need my uh, user needs so for instance, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, the, the pushchair. Um, at the time, you couldn't board a bus with a pushchair. I mean, you definitely couldn't board a bus on a wheelchair either. So um, you had to fold the pushchair up before you got on the bus. And pushchairs were designed to be folded with two hands. Well, where do you put the baby? You either hand it to a stranger, put it on the pavement, struggle with the baby and the pushchair. So... You know, I knew I was creative and I knew I was a problem solver and I just thought I can do better than this. Surely, why do we have to put up with this kind of, you know, products that, that don't meet our needs? So when my kids started school, I uh, went back to university to do my degree. You say that, Sarah, in a very sort of laser fair way, but I mean, you were, from what I understand, you were a single mother with two small children. Yeah, yeah. Self-funding so, and going to university. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's so impressive. It, it was, uh, I mean, I look back on it now and I, I, you know, I don't know where I found the energy all the time, but I knew what I wanted to do and I, I knew it was something that was worth doing. So I, um, yeah, I would uh, at work nights, I was um, upholstering, doing all sorts of different jobs and, and uh, sort of funded myself through university. But you're still making it sound too easy. So just let me understand a day in the life of Sarah Liddell. You had, how old were your children? Um, when I started my, so I did a, a foundation course before that. So my son Ben was three and my son Josh was four. So Ben used to sometimes come to college with me because he was preschool. So he would sit there in our crits and I'd sort of give him piles of Lego to try and keep him occupied. But um yeah. but you said you were working during the night to make money and then you were studying. I mean, sorry, what about sleep? The sleep factor um, in here? Yes. Well, I think as a, a young mum, you kind of learn to survive on a few hours sleep anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it, I'm not trying to say it was easy. It, it, it was difficult, yeah. but uh, it was, you know, something I wanted to do. The work I'd been doing before with um, props, and upholstery just wasn't, was even less suitable for uh, having a life working with young kids. So, you know, it, ridiculous hours and, and very unpredictable. And, you know, not quite as mission driven as as design engineering. 
as working women, we have so many balls in the air and you actually have to let some of them drop. So how do you choose uh, which ones to drop? Yeah, I mean, that is a real, a real juggle. I remember uh, when I was uh, after my degree and I was uh, sort of had just started working and I overheard my children talking upstairs and uh, Ben said to Josh, um, I thought when mum finished college, things were going to get better. I haven't got any clean pants to wear. And overheard Josh saying, I just wear yesterday's pants, which was really heartbreaking. And um, so it is about trying to understand where you can kind of make the compromises. Um, I think you have to set yourself clear boundaries. And I didn't do that in the early years because you're also trying to establish yourself in your career and you don't want to, um, I mean, I, as I say, I was a single mum. So there was, um, feedback sometimes from bosses at the time that, Oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't be leading this project. You've got young children at home. You, you know, you'll be thinking about those rather than dedicating enough time to the, the project. But, and I really had to sort of try and compensate to, or overcompensate, I guess, to to make sure that that those um, gender stereotypes were unfounded. So I, you know, would when the kids were at half term, I would you know eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner at work to try and sort of knock all the work out. But there were times where I felt that I did compromise my children. My um, there was a deadline I tried to meet. Well, I in fact I was the only person on the team who did meet the deadline. Um, I got someone else to take Josh to a, a hospital procedure and I met the deadline. No one else did, so the, the pointless deadline, but Josh has never forgotten how scared he was to go to hospital, you know, without me. And it's those kind of compromises that I now look back on and just think I should have set myself clearer boundaries. The ones where you feel you got them wrong. Yeah. But we yeah. also beat ourselves up, right, because we can't get them Absolutely. right all the time. And I'm still quite shocked. So if your manager said to you, you can't do this project because you've got children at home. Yeah. Um, and your reaction was to overcompensate, yeah. to work even yeah. harder. Yeah. I mean, do you think you could have challenged him on that assumption? Um, I think, uh, yes, now I would feel the confidence to challenge them. I mean, I just look back and I think, would they have been asking a dad the same question? I don't think so. And I do, I, I do empathise. I'm sure lots of people in the audience will be too. Like how you constantly trying to make those those choices on, on what to do and what to miss. And and I think the way I've tried to reconcile it for myself is the most important thing is to not listen to what other people think you should be doing as a parent. You know, literally two weeks ago, I heard a parent at the school gate say, "Oh, but it really is very important that I walk my child to school." I mean, I don't walk my child to school, but I I'm still a great parent, right? Like we have to be able to choose the bits that matter to us. And stick to that. And I think that's that's a key mm. part, right? And similarly to work, it's around those boundaries at work too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's setting boundaries as a parent and then also those boundaries at work. But it is something that you um, you have to work at and it's not as easy for, for women to set those boundaries. So it's, it's you sort of have to overcome the, the gender norms in both your, your personal life and your, your yeah. career. I mean, in an ideal world, we all want to be in a meritocratic society where our talents and work get judged on their own merits. But we are constantly facing stereotypes. And I think you mentioned to me once, it wasn't just around even um, stereotypes against you being a mother, but actually that you had to hide being a single mother. Will you talk to me what, what was behind yes. that? Well, so after um, I heard the boys uh, talking about wearing yesterday's pants, I realised that um, I hadn't got my work-life balance 
quite right. So I devised um, a, a solution that was a sort of flexi time um, and proposed it to my boss. Uh, he said, I mean, he went along with it and agreed and said that they valued my work, but please, if I was leaving early, could I sneak out and, and sort of keep it quite subtle because I'd chosen to be single as well. I'd chosen to be a single mum and work and other people might say that they choose to play golf and would also like flexi time. You'd chosen to be a single mother. Yes. I like that one. <laughs> and work. Yeah. yeah. No, either be a single mum and stay at home or don't be a mum and work. I mean, Sarah, you've had to overcome a lot of challenges in order to really to push ahead in this highly male dominated world. What, you know, in those darkest moments, those darkest hours, what's, you know, what helped you through? We talk about skin like a rhino, like how do we develop this sort of shield that, that allows us to protect us so that we can keep charging ahead without allowing all the, all the challenges, all the negativity around us to, to, to penetrate. Um, so I think uh, the way I've built resilience was just getting angry getting fire in my belly, knowing uh, what I wanted to do was worth doing and knowing uh, that I could do it as well. So I think it comes from uh, some inner confidence and I, I thank my parents for always believing in me and never kind of casting aspersions about any of my crackpot plans when I was younger. So, um, yeah, it's knowing what you want to do is is worth doing and just using the fire in your belly to sort of propel you forward. And the more anyone tried to hold me back, the, the more it wanted, uh, made me want to fire forward. It sounds like sometimes when people tell you no, Sarah, that just spurs you on. Is that a fair assessment? I mean... I'd say, Tanya, you've probably got to know me quite well in the short time we've <laughs> known each other. Um, yeah, so uh, things have spurred me on in my career, but also in my personal life as well. So... Uh, those that know me know I'm a big DIYer and uh, whilst undertaking quite an ambitious extension at home. So the building inspector came round and said, uh, this is not a job for an amateur. You should have uh, saved your money, love, and spent it on a shrink. <laughs> but in any case, uh, I eventually finished the house. It took a bit longer than uh, I was hoping. but um, And when I finished, he came to sign it off and he said, uh, that he would like to buy me a pint. And when I actually sold the house, he came around and put an offer on it as well. Oh, so wow. he couldn't afford it, so he didn't <laughs> buy it. <laughs> you love proving people wrong. Uh, yeah, I do, actually. I mean, I'm quite contrary in that way. Uh, I think the more people say no to me and that say something can't be done, the more that fires me up and makes me want to do it. I need to... Uh, yeah, if something's worth doing, uh, believe in yourself and, and get it done. But even now, I mean, I know when you started as an engineer, you were sort of four out of 240, so, so mm. one in 60 uh, in terms of women to male ratio. But things are better, but not that much better. I think it's about one in six uh, engineering students is now female. What do you think the problem is? Like, why are we still not getting more women into engineering? Um. So I was, uh, yeah, hoping that actually the the stats had improved a bit since I did my degree. But I've um, been talking to uh, uh, some some of the young female engineers I know, and and unfortunately things haven't even really improved in the last twenty five years. So um, as I said, I think having uh, supportive friends and family around you, which will help you. 
uh, meet, uh, well, understand what your goals are and meet and achieve them. Uh, I think really knowing what you like, what you enjoy and what fires you up and then understanding how that can lead to a career is really important. So um, I think schools and education have got a really important place to play. Um, families, you know, might not have all the, you know, the latest career options to their fingertips, but schools can really empower people and tell them what the options were. So, you know, I did a, a test when I was at school. It was like a kind of career questionnaire and it ended up telling me I should be an air traffic controller or a butcher. Was one, a, a couple butcher. of, I know, and I was vegetarian at the time as well. So they were a couple of the options, but it was graphics or textiles, et cetera. So I think... Um, so do you think that test didn't even give the option Completely of irrelevant, women. didn't give me the options, yeah. yeah. But And I think that people assume that engineering is all, you know, spanners and boilers, but it's it's not. It's, it's solving problems using a design thinking and logical mindset. So, you know, it's... If people understood... Uh, what their career options were, what what the breadth of careers you can have with with STEM subjects or with creative subjects. I think that would be, um, you know, really open some doors for people. I mean, maybe it's a bit simplistic, but I think engineering needs a rebrand. I was talking Absolutely. to Dr. Hayat and Salem, who's the first ever non-white, non-male CEO of the Institute of Engineering. And she was saying in this country, it's, it's similar to what you said, if we say the word engineering, people are thinking about somebody fixing your BT line. Whereas if you say engineering in France, they understand that means everything from computer science to mathematics to physics, a whole range of exciting careers. And I really hope that's something we're trying to change at LV, right? That we can show that some of these careers can have really not just an impactful um, outcome, but be exciting. And, and and there's a lot in there too, because I do worry about drop-off, right? I think a lot of mm. women who are even studying engineering don't even continue uh, in that space. I mean, now that you're at LV, we, we are currently in a good position where I think we're about 50-50 in the product team that you lead. You know, what are you doing in terms of bringing in different values or behaviours to keep encouraging those women to hopefully continue in their careers in engineering and products? Well, one of the things that got me into my career was about wanting to challenge taboos uh, and break stereotypes and keep uh, challenging the status quo. So that's something I'm definitely um, going to bring into LV. And I think we already do that. It's, you know, it is part of the LV DNA is is breaking taboos. So um, as you say, we've got a, a great gender split across the team. Um, I've taught some of our uh, young female engineers about their previous experiences and previous roles and uh, as I said, things haven't really changed from when I was first starting out. So I think we do do it really well here at Alvin and, you know, everyone's voices are heard equally, but we definitely can't be complacent. And it's something we have to keep actively working on. We have to keep the conversation going at work at, in the product team at LV, make sure that um, that we are representing our workforce, but also our our users, but and then take that out into the wider world. Thanks, Sarah. And I suppose switching gears a little bit, you've been working now for a couple of decades in product design, and and like any area, there's there's been trends and innovations and so on. And you've been involved in some really iconic product developments. But how much further can it go? Can products even change lives? I mean, yes, definitely. And I think that uh, some of the products that we've designed here at LV have 
really done that for our customers and our and the women who use our products. And we've had some customer testimonials that have talked about how uh, our the very existence of our products have enabled women to make choices about careers, choices uh, choices about their child rearing that they wouldn't have had and if we hadn't have, have created that category. So it's a much more expansive definition of products, as you're saying, it includes a lot more in terms of user experience. But what about design principles when it comes to designing a great product? Is it the same regardless of which dimension you're working in? I think so, yeah. So, I mean, classic design thinking is uh, is understanding uh, your user needs so go in and assume you know nothing assume even though it is our own lived experience as as women engineers and we're designing products for women uh, still assume you know nothing ask the user uh, as many questions as you can and observe what the the user is is doing as well because you can gain your own insights from that and then uh yeah the process is is very similar you ideate you you concept you prototype, test and learn, etc. So and with connected products with with the digital aspect, I mean they don't even have to be connected products. It could just be digital products on their own. But you have that opportunity to keep checking in with your users, make sure you're meeting the users' needs and is that is there more you can provide. So that's how products will and are evolving. And that's that's what I'm very excited about doing here is is evolving our products to keep meeting those users' needs. But you make it sound quite easy, yet so many companies get products wrong. Why is that? I think they stop listening. Right. Stop listening and stop learning. I mean, this is something it's you don't just release a product and then hope that uh, you know, it it carries on to be great. There's there's a lot of competition out there. We you know, we have to to stay ahead of the game, but we, um, as we develop our products and, you know, what we thought years ago it is still relevant, but there's now better ways of doing things. So we must make sure that we keep moving. So if you look at the big trends, as you were saying, it's very exciting what's happening in terms of how the internet has allowed us to re reimagine products. But what about for you personally? You've been involved in some very iconic product designs. What well, What's your passion? What would you love to be working on next? Which problem would you love to solve? Um, well, I think the thing that uh, got me into product design and engineering was trying to solve um, problems for myself as a mother by designing uh, a push shed at work for working mums. Um, of course, at uh, this stage of my life, I think it would be great for us to be tackling menopause. And I think that's uh, something that is is starting to come into the public conversation a bit more. But uh, I think that there's there's some areas there that we can really make some big some big gains. Absolutely, and it's a very exciting time because I think what we've learned at LV is it's so important to be innovating and through a technology point of view. But you also need to be breaking taboos and bringing out some of these issues into conversation. And if you're lucky enough to be able to do both at the same time, change the conversation and bring to market a new innovation, that's when big change can really happen. Yeah. And and that's what's so exciting, yeah, is is that uh, we're, we're living and breathing that. So it's externally and internally as well. There's clearly been so many times when you've had to make those difficult choices, juggling parenthood and work, trying to get the priorities right. What advice do you give to people who are feeling mum guilt or, or dad guilt? Um, 
So I think in the uh, early days, uh, the the gender norms about being uh, women being the primary caregiver were definitely a lot more the case uh, in the UK. But I hope, I feel that maybe things are bouncing up. I mean, things like uh, shared parental leave uh, uh, policies are, are great. And I hear talking to the team now, I think that um, mum guilt, and dad guilt are, are definitely things that I uh, hear from the team. So uh, juggling uh, children, family life, part, being a partner as well, and uh, work are, are all things that people struggle with and, and finding the right balance for yourself. And finally, for those women who are listening to the podcast and thinking about a career change or thinking about going into product or design engineering, what, what words of advice do you have for them? As I, I, th- I said earlier, I think um, really knowing yourself, knowing what your skills are, uh, what uh, fires you up and, and what you really love. And if you're doing what you really love, you will be good at it because you will test and learn and you will get better and better. So um, design and engineering isn't all boiler suits and spanners. It is actually changing the world. So I'd say just go for it. Sarah Liddell, thank you very much. Thank you.